right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is James Everett, and we're going to be uh, continuing our teaching this morning on the four prayers of Paul. And uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, uh, which is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And then we, just so you know, uh, we also want to say thank you to all of our financial partners who have partnered with us in the ministry. Uh, in case you don't know how to do that, you can do so on our website at lighthouseofsabbatship.org. Go to our gift page and you can give anywhere from all over the world, as well as if you'd rather mail us a check, make this check payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And our address is on the footer of every page uh, on the bottom. So anyway, uh, without further ado, we also, uh, just so you know, we will have our Bible study tonight. Uh, we will not have a, <coughs> excuse me, we will not have a Bible study again tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we will resume our Sunday night Bible study next week. And I believe that's the 24th. And then uh, we will have our Bible study on Wednesday night. And we'll see you there at 7 o'clock. Okay. So anyway, uh, without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and jump right on into the message this morning. We have a lot to cover. And uh, we'll, uh, we won't finish this this week. We will finish this uh, hopefully next week. And so uh, anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Excuse me. So we've been talking about the four prayers of Paul, and every each, each week I've been uh, prefacing this message by saying, because people often ask, "Well, Paul only prayed four prayers," and the answer to that question is no. He prayed more than four prayers, and there are more than four prayers in Scripture. However, these are what I consider the longest prayers, and these have been the most influential prayers in many regards in my life, and so. And, more specifically, these are just the four prayers that we are highlighting in this teaching. Okay, I've used these all my life in my own personal walk with God, as well as the ministry and ministry to others. And uh, but as apostle, and I believe all of us have had the relationship we have with God because of Paul's letters to the churches. And even if you didn't hear Paul's letters when you got saved, someone who preached the gospel to you was influenced by Paul to preach the gospel to you. <coughs> Excuse me, but with that, in other words, what I'm trying to convey is, you know, if if Paul, and most of us have the relationship we have with God because of Paul, if we are where we are today because of Paul, then it behooves us to hear his heart. Because Paul, when I see that Paul is writing his prayers, he's conveying his heart. There's something that he desires. There's something that he wants us to understand. And we're going to see it again today and even next week that, and as we've seen the last previous, uh, uh, this is week seven, the previous six weeks, we, we will see that, that <coughs> excuse me again, uh, that there's some themes throughout all four of these prayers. There's some differences in each prayer, but there's some themes throughout each prayer that we are highlighting this teaching. So again, the four prayers that we are highlighting this teaching are two of that Ephesus, Ephesus, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1. So we, we, we spent two weeks on the first prayer, and we spent three weeks on the second prayer, and we spent one week on the last prayer uh, on, on Philippians. And then this week we're going to start the last prayer that we're highlighting in Colossians. 
and we will spend two weeks on this one. Uh, we'll be here today, and then we'll be here uh, next week on this last bird of fall. Okay, so that was that, this last bird that we're highlighting. So, so again, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, that, 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 this prayer. And so, uh, just like all the other prayers, I'm going to start by reading the prayer, and then, we'll get, and then we'll get into our message. So let me read the whole prayer, okay? Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and our wisdom and spiritual understanding. <coughs> Excuse me. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Okay. So... You know, in some of these prayers, it's also hard to sometimes uh, make the difference when the prayer actually ends, because it goes right into the message, and you know, and that's okay. And so, uh, you know, we're not really trying to these verses are the, the prayers of Paul. That, 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 that's not important. The part, important part is that we are hearing his heart, and we are hearing what Paul has to say. Really, if you want to hear what Paul's heart is, you need to read all of his letters. That's really, uh, I mean, I always have this philosophy, if you're going to hear somebody, hear them out. And you can't hear Paul out unless you've read all of his letters. Uh, that's, you know, if you're going to quote a guy, then quote him, you know. And so anyway, and so uh, we're just taking, a, again, a snapshot. We've taken a snapshot of all these prayers so far, and we've, uh, and so we, this is this last prayer. So let's go back to verse 9. For this reason, we, when did we see this phrase again? We saw this phrase again in the first prayer. Paul had this phrase in the first prayer. So when we when we looked at this in the, at the first prayer that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1, we spent a whole week talking about for this reason. And we're going to kind of do the same thing today. Uh, so this time I think it will be a little shorter, uh, the prelude, to actually get into the prayer. So with that in mind, we're going to, uh, before we get into the depth of the prayer, we're going to look at for this reason. We're going to find out why he said that, okay? So with that, with that said, let's go to the beginning, towards the beginning of the, of the, of the book, of the letter, chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 3, and it says, Paul says, We give thanks to the, to the God <coughs> excuse me, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for all the saints. The first thing I want to highlight on, and we did this, I think, in the first prayer, maybe even the second, but this giving of thanks, and he gives him thanks for them. You know, there's a lot of similarities between this this first prayer, this prayer of Colossians, and the first prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to see a lot of similarities between these two. But he says he gives thanks. thanks. So let's talk about Paul's thanksgiving real quick. Paul was giving thanks. Because we're, we're really answering the question for this reason. Why is he praying this prayer? The first thing he's doing is giving thanks. Okay? Every epistle of Paul's, except Galatians and Titus, Paul begins with thanksgiving to God. 
you'll, you'll find that. That's just a little uh, commentary on that. Uh, every epistle, except for Galatians and Titus, he begins with uh, Thanksgiving. Okay. Also, Thanksgiving was a characteristic of Paul's letters and prayers. In all of his prayers, he's giving thanks. Okay. And yes, this is a commentary of, of Paul's uh, letter here, but I think we need to have that attitude. If that's Paul's attitude, when he's when as Paul is addressing the churches, he's doing it with Thanksgiving. Okay, and I think if we, as we address other people, as we preach the gospel to other people, we need to do it with Thanksgiving too. Okay, for example, Thanksgiving expressed was expressed in the New Testament. Okay, it was it was a natural part of worship. Okay, we see it in these verses. I'm not going to go all these verses. Okay, it was. Uh, 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 Thanksgiving was deliverance. They, they, they gave thanks as a natural part of the worship. They gave thanks as a deliverance from their enemies. They gave thanks for his goodness and his mercy. They gave thanks for his grace and acceptance of us through Jesus Christ. They gave thanks for the forgiveness of sins and healing in their bodies. Okay? They gave thanks for deliverance from the principle of sin. Okay? They gave thanks for unspeakable gifts of, of grace in Christ. They gave thanks for like precious faith. Okay, but not only that, Thanksgiving is also expressed through his saints. Thanksgiving is expressed through people's lips. <coughs> Excuse me. Thanksgiving is expressed through the righteous. Thanksgiving is expressed through prayer, and uh, that was all I had there. So anyway, that that was just a little snapshot of Thanksgiving. In other words, the, the, one of the things I'm trying to make, make mention here, just in this opening uh, of Paul's prayer. And even this this letter is Thanksgiving was a very common practice of Paul. Does that make sense? And if Paul gave thanks a lot, then we should too. Okay. Sometimes we look we look back. You know, when we read these words in uh, Colossians chapter one verse three, and we we get thanks. Sometimes we just breeze through that. You know, and and I understand sometimes we're trying to get to the meat, and maybe this is the icing, and the rest is the cake. But I don't know about you, when I eat a cake, I like the icing too. And actually, I say the icing for last. Yeah. So, giving thanks is powerful. Okay? In all things, we ought to give thanks. Anyway, he says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry for the typo. Praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So he's giving thanks. But he's giving thanks not only for them, but he's also giving thanks because he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. And of his love, and their love for all saints. He said almost the same exact thing in Ephesians chapter 1. He gave thanks for their faith and for their love for one another. He said almost the exact same thing. I think we'll look at that in just a moment. Okay? But he goes on to say, as you have learned from Epaphras. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But in other words, one thing I'm trying to give up, he heard of their faith. One thing about this church, this letter to uh, the Church of Colossae, we don't have any evidence that Paul actually went to the Colossae. He's writing a letter to the Church of Colossae, but he doesn't necessarily go there. And we don't know that for sure. We don't, we don't have evidence that he didn't go there, but we also didn't have evidence that he did go there. Who ministered the gospel to, to the Church of Colossae? This guy, Epaphras. Okay? I believe he was a follower of Paul, and he heard the gospel of Paul in Philippi, 
or in Ephesus, and you took the gospel to Colossae. Okay? That's awesome. That's the way I believe that, the, 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 I believe that's the way the body of Christ should work. You know? Um, and so, now who, who is this Epaphras? And I might, Epaphras might be more uh, how you pronounce the name. I believe it's the same guy, Epaphras. I, I tried to pass this before this, before this uh, message, and I'm just chopping it up. So, uh, we'll just call him Epi, okay? Uh, so, Epi, okay? But he's mentioned in the New Testament. He's mentioned three times in the New Testament. Tw twice in Colossians, one in Philemon, and, and then, and then Epiphytus, Epi, is mentioned again also in Philippians. Is this the same guy? I don't know. But I believe he is. That's just my opinion. That's not, that's not doctrine. Okay? But anyway, this guy is mentioned, uh, Paul mentions him three and four times. Okay? And actually, in times, he mentioned them at least five times in his letters, in three different letters. Okay? To Colossians, Paul wrote Philemon as well, and then to Philippians. This is not a key point. It just, this guy's not, he's not new on the scene. Okay? Okay? And, but, uh, so this guy, Paul, heard of their faith through this guy. He learned it from Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, <coughs> excuse me, on your, on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, so let's go back to verse 3 real quick. Okay, we're not quite done here. So Paul's giving thanks for them, just like he did in the church of Ephesus, in Ephesians. And it says, and since we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. He points out those two things. He pointed out those same, same, same two things in the first prayer to Ephesians. Okay. Now one thing about the Colossian church, and I kind of already mentioned this already. The, whole, the entire Colossian church was a byproduct of Epaphras' ministry. Okay. You follow me so far? He wasn't a byproduct of Paul. I, I believe Epaphras is a byproduct of Paul's ministry. But the Colossae church is a byproduct of Epaphras' ministry. It's not so big of whose ministry this is. At any point in time, I just I love seeing the fruit of Paul's ministry being second, third generation. Okay. Also, Paul did not preach to Colossae personally. We don't have proof that he did. More likely, Epaphras preached the gospel to the church in Colossae. Epaphras was from Colossae himself. Because we see this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So Epaphras is not new to the Church of Colossae. I believe he was, if nothing else, he was a pastor there. Okay? I don't know that for sure. But anyway, Epaphras is, uh, is a key guy. We don't hear about him a lot. But he's, he, you know, he, but he's involved. Paul... We don't hear about it a lot, but Paul talks about him five times. And uh, he, you know, anyway, I'm not trying to make a big deal about this, but it's, it's, we're still trying to answer the question of, for this reason, that Paul's going to this prayer. Paul heard of their faith, okay? And Paul also heard of their love for one another. That's what he says here in verse 4, okay? 
And again, I keep saying this, and I should have shown this earlier, but in Ephesians chapter 1, he said the same thing to the church of Ephesus that he did preach to, I, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So he says the same thing, same type of greeting. One of the visible fruits of faith is love. We've been talking about that in the last prayer in Philippians, and we talked about that also in the, in, in, in the second prayer in Ephesians. Faith and love work together, okay? And if you're, if you're operating in faith, you're going to operate in love towards one another. The, the two just go hand in hand, okay? Again, because Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ I know circumcision have done with anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Okay, I quote that a lot because faith and love work, are almost synonymous. Okay? In other words, believers are not only united to Christ. We've been saying this throughout this teaching, throughout all these letters. Believers are also united to one another. And we love because he first loved us. As believers, we are a body. As believers, we are a family. And Paul thanked God for the love the Colossians had shown to each other, the same way he, he commended the church in Ephesus for the same type of love. And let, let me just say this. I, I don't mean to spend a lot of time with this, but Paul has made it a point in multiple letters to give thanks for their love for one another. And if Paul... Made it, and more likely, we'll see a little bit later, that Paul's more likely in prison when he wrote this. And it's possible that uh, Epaphras is in prison with him. Okay? And so, but Paul commended the church for to love one another. I've been to churches where people are not loving one another. They're fighting like siblings. Okay? I mean, have you ever seen families fight? Have you ever seen churches fight? It's ugly. Okay? I've been a part of churches, and sometimes I was, people were fighting with me, and sometimes people were fighting with each other, and they wanted me to come in the middle of it, you know. Uh, but Paul commended them for their love for one another. It's commendable when the church loves one another. It's commendable. Jesus said that by our love for one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. Jesus prayed before he went to the cross that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. We've been our number one evangelism to the world is how we in the church love one another. Okay, and so Paul makes a he makes a point to mention it, not only here but he mentions it in Ephesians, and he mentions it many other times. In fact, Paul talks about loving one another over a hundred times in all his letters. And if Paul spends that much time talking about how we need to love one another. If he's our apostle of grace, then I believe we need to listen. Okay? Be, but true faith is more than a conviction of the mind. It transforms the heart to love. When I see the church loving one another as a pastor, I see maturity. Okay? Because loving one another is the fruit of faith. True faith will not just convict you. True faith will transform your heart to love. Where you not, are not loving one another because you have to, you're not loving one another because you should, you are loving one another because it's coming from the inside out. It's loving one another because you are born of God and God is love. Okay? True faith will transform the heart to true love. 
when you see people truly loving one another, they are walking in faith. They are walking with God. Because love is a fruit of the spirit. Love is not a fruit of the flesh. Okay. So let's go back to this Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We give thanks to the God of our Father, my Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith, faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for the saints. Verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. Okay? The gospel gave the Colossians such a hope for the future, it affected their present lives. And that's something we can take, that's a takeaway we can have. The gospel doesn't just affect your future. The gospel affects your present life. Now, a lot of people think that the gospel is all about Jesus forgiving your sins. That's a major part of it. And we're going to get into some of that in this, in, in, in this prayer. Forgiveness of sins is one of the major parts of our salvation. But it's not the only part of our salvation. It's one of the major ones. It's one of the primary ones. But it's not the only thing. In other words, some people just are, want to get saved so they don't go to hell. I don't, I don't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? That is a major benefit. That is a major part of the gospel uh, uh, being saved. But it's not the only thing. In other words, being saved doesn't just affect your future. Being saved affects your present lives as well. And the gospel gave the Colossians such a hope for the future it affected their present lives today. We have such a tremendous hope for this life. Yes, we have a hope for the life to come. But we have a life a lot for, for this life. And when I say that, when I talk like that, I am not trying to water down heaven. It's just growing up and even through the years, I've heard a lot about heaven, and rightfully so, and I, I don't I don't look down about on all of that. It, but If we don't learn how to live here, we might get to heaven sooner. <laughs> okay? Sooner than we should. And I'm all for heaven. I'm all for Jesus to come. But there's something that we are to be occupied till he comes. And the only reason he hasn't come because he wants more people to be saved. And, and we have such a hope, not only for the life to come, but we have a gospel work and the, our the forgiveness of sins and salvation is, we have such a hope, not just for the future, but for this life as well. And I don't want it to, I'm not trying to throw out the bathwater as in heaven. I'm also trying not to throw out the baby in the bathwater, which is this life. Okay? We have a life to live now. Tomorrow will take care of itself and praise God that day is coming. But we have something to do. And we have a life to live here. <coughs> Excuse me. This hope seems irrelevant to me. And it's only about heaven to come. And it has nothing to do with this life. There's something that's irrelevant to me about that. I believe it's both for the future. But it's also for now too. It's both. One, in one sense, one's not more important than the other. They're both equally important. The hope that we have in Jesus coming again. And the hope that we have in Jesus being in us to live this life here. Okay? 
Jesus said it this way in John 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Okay? We have such, <coughs> excuse me, a tremendous hope for this life. We have an abundant life that we can live in this life. Okay? At the same point in time, even though I said that, if our hope is in this life only, I'm flipping the coin, we are all of all men most miserable. It's not just for the, the life to come and not for this life, but it's also not just for this life and not for the life to come. Okay? Because Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if it is this life only, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Okay? If there's no future, we're miserable. If there's no future, then all hope is gone. There is no hope. But there is a hope for the future. And there is a hope for this life as well. Okay? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard, in the word of truth of the gospel. So we just kind of talked about the first part of this verse. Get the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. We have a hope in heaven. But we also have a hope in this life as well. Of which, this hope that we have in heaven, it hurt, which you heard in the word of God, truth of the gospel. Which has come to you as it has also in the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of our God in truth. Now, one thing about Paul, when you read all of his letters, especially here in Colossians, and we see it also in the book of uh, Galatians, we also see it in the book of Romans, and other uh, letters as well, Paul will use the term gospel and grace interchangeably. Okay? You'll find that in many of his letters, and that's the case here. He is using the word gospel. I mean, gospel. Let's go backwards. Gospel and grace interchangeably. And you'll find that very consistent with Paul. So to me, because Paul does that in more than one occasion, to me, the grace of God and the gospel of Christ are the same. They're synonymous. <coughs> okay? Some people might disagree with me. That might, that's okay. I'm going to go with Paul. Okay? And so, Paul often used the words God, love, and grace interchangeably. I just said that. Okay? If it's not by grace, it's not the gospel. Okay? It's not by your performance. Your performance is not good news. It's his performance. It's his unmerited, what's grace? Unmerited favor. If you can merit it, it's not grace. If you can earn it, it's not grace. Earning something and grace are two, they're polar opposites. It's like having cold fire or dry water. You can't have it. It won't have, it doesn't coexist. But if it's not by grace, it's not the gospel. The gospel is a universal message for all mankind. Not just a select few. Not just for the Jews. But all that, we've established that in many ways that the church is the Jews and the Gentiles combined. But 
The gospel is a universal message for all mankind. The gospel is the good news. God has come to seek and save those who are lost. Okay? And this message, the gospel, is for all people, all ages, all nations, all generations. Okay? It never gets old. It never expires. It never gets stale dated. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel of the kingdom is to be preached to all the world. Okay? And we see this in many scriptures. I'm going to name a few here. In Matthew, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. He says this also in Matthew 28. Go therefore and teach all nations. In Mark 13, And the gospel must be first be published among all nations. Uh, again in, in, in Mark. And he said unto them, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And look, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. An act, Jesus said, and he shall be witness unto me unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I only took part of that verse. Because I'm trying to <coughs> emphasize that we're supposed to take this gospel to all nations of the end of the earth. In Colossians, one twenty-three. later on in the same chapter, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. And in the book of Revelation, having an everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And here in Colossians, just before our prayer, which has come to you, has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of a God in truth. Okay? See, the gospel that's supposed to be preached to all nations is not only universal in its scope, it is also alive and is producing fruit. The gospel is supposed to be preached to all nations. It's universal. And every tongue, every tribe, every generation, all people, all time, all nations. But the gospel is alive. And it's producing fruit. Okay? These are just some things Paul's saying before he gets into this prayer. Okay? Matthew 13, 8. Jesus said, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 160 and, and some 30. We've been talking on Sunday nights. I know we're, we haven't had our Sunday night Bible study the last two weeks, last week and this week, but we will pick it up next week. And so... He's, Jesus, when he talked about the parable of the sower, he talks about the seed of God's word falling on different kinds of soil. And the seed that fell on the good soil, soil, it yielded a crop, some 100 and some 60 and some 30. Something that's yielding something, something that's producing a crop is alive. And the gospel, the seed of God's word, is alive. This goes back to my point that I just made. The gospel is not only universal, it's alive, and it's producing fruit. Something that's producing fruit is alive. You can't produce fruit if your seed is dead. Okay? But, and he also says in James, talking about the wisdom that's from above, it's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield fruit. There's that one to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. What's the fruit of the gospel? We'll talk about this for a moment. Okay? 
through the gospel, it's the conversion of people's lives, and we see this in Romans. We also see the fruit of the gospel is eternal life. The fruit of the gospel is the life of Christ manifested in every believer. Okay? These are just some of the examples of the, of the fruit of the gospel that we see in the New Testament and throughout Scripture. Uh, the fruit of the gospel is also holiness. We see this in Romans chapter 6. Evidence of repentance. That's the fruit of the gospel. Okay? Another fruit of the gospel is good works. Okay? These are, these are just some fruits. But the list goes on. The fruit of the gospel is also thanksgiving to God. The fruit of the gospel is also love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, goodness, meekness, and temperance, which is also known as the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So these different things that I just listed on this page, and then also on this page that I just showed you. And this is not an exhaustive list, but there's many fruits, many byproducts, many results of the gospel. It's universal, but it's bearing fruit. It's alive. Okay? But it's also goodness and righteousness and truth, which we'll see a little bit later in another scripture we're we'll going to look at a little bit later. And But it's righteousness, truth, and goodness. Goodness, righteousness, and truth is also a fruit of the gospel. We'll look at this a little bit later in one of these scriptures that we'll look at. I think it's in the Philippians chapter 1. Because that's part of the prayer. Okay? So anyway, um, well, that was part of the prayer from last. Anyway, we'll, we'll look at this later. Okay? Let's go back to Colossians. It's preluded before the prayer. We'll pick up verse 7. We were here just a minute ago because we were looking at Epaphras. And as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, he's a fellow servant who is faithful, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, I want to look at a couple of different things. We already mentioned that Epaphras, also possibly known as Epaphras, okay, Epi, okay, is mentioned three times in the New Testament, and, and possibly five if we consider the two times in Philippians. Okay, but one thing about this guy who brought the gospel to Colossae, okay, because we're talking about the prayer to the Colossians, let's talk about the guy who brought the gospel to the Colossians. Okay, he's a fellow servant. Paul calls him a fellow servant. Paul connected. Epaphras' ministry with his own, using this term. He's a fellow servant, okay? And he's also, he says, again, we mentioned this a minute ago, from across chapter 4, same letter, three chapters later, who is, a, is one of you. He's from Colossae, okay? And he's from that church, okay? But he's also a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. In Philemon, Philemon verse 23, he calls him a fellow prisoner in Christ. So we don't know for sure, but this is why I said a minute ago, he may be a prisoner. He may be in prison with Paul. We don't know that for sure. Sometimes the way that Paul uses this type of language, uh, he calls himself a bondservant. You know, and so, uh, but at the same point in time, but it, it could be that he's in prison with him. That's how he should, you know, if you're in prison with somebody, you're going to get an update of what's going on in life. And one of the things going on in life for Epaphras is his ministry to the Church of Colossae. And he's giving, and it's so, I see Paul writing a church to the Church of Colossae based on what Epaphras is telling him while they're in prison together. Yeah. That's just the way I connected the dots. But let me, let me, let me go back real quick. This faithful minister, I want to highlight this just for a moment. 
Because uh, uh, then we're in verse seven and eight, and then we're going to get into the prayer. Okay, but going forward again, Paul. Paul is important for Paul to see faithful ministers. The operative word is faithfulness. Paul spends, talks a lot about faithfulness when it comes to ministers. For example, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul makes it a point that if we're going to appoint people to ministry, as a pastor, if I, appoint, if I were to appoint deacons and elders, if I would uh, license and ordain people in our church, I am going to find faithful men. Okay? Epaphras uh, was a faithful man. And I believe he was appointed by Paul to bring the, the gospel to Colossae. How that all uh, panned out, how that all came about, I don't know the details of that. Okay? We don't have that. But we do know that he's connected with Paul, and we do know that he brought the gospel to Colossae. And Paul is now being involved. But he calls uh, Epaphras <coughs> a faithful man, a faithful minister. And as a pastor, that is a major quality that I look for in ministers. I've had a lot of people through the years ask me to, to be a part of our church. Anyone can be a part of our church in one regard. But if you're going to teach, if you're going to lead, whether it be children's ministry or anything, I'm looking for faithfulness. What, that faithfulness may, may involve our church. But are you faithful to your, your spouse? Are you faithful to your job? Are you faithful to whatever you say you're going to do? Are you faithful? Because there are some people that have a desire to be ministry, but they're not faithful to anything. And I don't... That's, that's a major disqualifier. A lot, a lot of people online have asked me to, to come to their, their church or speak at their church, and I give them a simple direction. Contact me through my website. Email me. Don't contact me through Messenger. Don't leave your phone number here. Just contact me. And, and yet, they can't be faithful with, with one directive. I'm not their boss. But I, I, there's a lot of different reasons why I do that. This is not the only reason why I do that. But one of the reasons is, if you can't follow one simple direction, then, then I don't see you as being faithful. You can't be, if you can't be faithful with one thing, how are you going to be faithful with more? And so, and I'm not trying to be mean, but there's a lot of people who have a lot of hype to do ministry, but I'm looking for faithfulness. It's not the only reason why I do that, but if, if there's a lot of people, and I don't know who's scamming me for money, scamming me for my time. You might be genuine, and I'm not trying to be, be offensive or mean, but I am, in one sense of the word, trying to vet out the, the ones who are just not worth my time. And one of the things I'm looking for is faithfulness. I'm big on faithfulness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And and in the, in the book of Acts, when, when the, the apostles, and we're going to look at this in a little bit, the apostles appointed the seven, one of the qualifications for the seven was faithfulness. Okay? Faithfulness is a major thing. Okay? I am not going to delight in, we, you know, we have a Bible academy that we're putting together. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we have a, a discipleship program right now. We're going to actually, we're in the process right now of making it a Bible academy. It's going to be free. 
and we're gonna launch this thing hopefully in January. We've been working hard to put this thing together. At the end of it all, if you were to finish all the classes and did everything, and it, there'll be four levels of this uh, program, almost like four years. I don't. It won't be quite four years. It depends on how fast you, how short you go. But if you finish it all, you can actually apply to get a license, no matter where you are in the world. But finishing the classes is not the only criteria for you to get a license through our ministry. It's one of the things because the fact that you finish the classes shows me that you're faithful. But also. I want to know, there's, uh, there'll be an application process. Part of that application process is you will be personally interviewed by, by the, the pastoral staff, which includes Sherry and I. Okay? And I want to hear, I don't, I want to hear, what I want to see is your, your faithfulness. If you, there's some people in the past that they want to be in ministry, but they're not going to church anywhere. If you can't even be faithful going to a church anywhere, why, why do you need to be uh, appointed to serve and lead that church. If you can't even show up, why are you gonna? Why am I gonna put you in leadership? Why am I gonna ordain you, put my stamp of approval to ordain you to lead something that you can't even be faithful in attending? And there's some people they will go from this church and that church and this church and that church. And I'm not saying you can't be involved in multiple churches. That's not it at all. But you're so you're you're not being faithful anywhere. You know, we have a lot of pastors and churches that we are a part of to a certain level, but we have ones that we are faithful to each week. Even though we're pastors, we have certain ministers, ministries that we are faithful to attending, listening, and being part of, and, and tithing to regularly. It's talk about faithfulness. People, the day, we are in such a generation society, people are not loyal to anything. They change jobs like flies. They change spouses. They change jobs. They change families. They're not faithful to anything. And I don't mean to go off on this too much, but it was a major criteria for Paul. It was a major criteria for the apostles. And it's a major criteria for me. Okay? And, and there's different ways of looking at this. There's some people maybe they haven't gone to Bible college, but they've been faithful with their spouse. They've been faithful with their job. They've been faithful. And they might not have all the qualifications for ministry yet, but I am seeing something that some people who have gone to Bible college don't have, and that's called faithfulness. And I will work, I will work with someone who's faithful any day. Because I can trust them. I can't trust someone who's not faithful. I can only trust them to a certain level. But I can trust somebody who's faithful. Okay? And if you can be faithful in a little, you can be faithful over more. But if you can't be faithful in a little, then you, then you have already proven yourself not to be faithful anymore. Okay? Faith, faithfulness for ministers is huge. Okay? And Paul always a big deal there. It's a prized characteristic that distinguishes godly ministers from others. And we find this not only with Paul, we find this with the apostles too. Faithfulness in ministry carries the idea of being loyal, it being reliable, being full of faith, okay? I could even add another one, just being trustworthy. Commitment is also another thing. You know, there's even another term that I could add to it. It's just being honorable. It took, you know, 
I, I think I'm going to, in this new year, do a message at some point about honor. We have lost honor in society. And we need to learn how to be honorable to God, honorable to one another. Okay? And we need to be faithful. And it's a major, major, major criteria for me when I'm considering someone in leadership. Okay? Because if you can't be faithful as a leader, then your followers are not going to be faithful. Because they're going to follow your unfaithfulness. Okay? Paul only called a few people faithful. It was only a, I'm not saying there weren't more faithful people. But in all the letters Paul wrote, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, there are only a few people that Paul labeled as faithful. One of them was uh, Tychicus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Tychicus. We see him mentioned twice, once in Ephesians, once in the Colossians. Also, Onesimus. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. And we see him up later in Colossians at the end. We have Ephesus, which we just mentioned. He's mentioned multiple times, not just the one listed. And then we also have Timothy. He's a name I can pronounce. And we see him mentioned not only in Timothy, but he also mentions him in Corinthians. Okay? And so, these are four. I'm not saying these are the only faithful people, but these are four people that Paul mentioned on more than one occasion about being faithful men. Okay? And Paul used enough ink to make mention of that multiple times with all of his men. <coughs> it just echoes the same point I'm trying to make, that faithfulness is a major criteria that Paul looked for. But faithfulness is also a fruit of the Spirit. Just like love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. Okay? So with all these seven things I've talked about, and some of these things I went off and just spoke a little bit, there's a lot of different things that I talked about in this really this introduction to this prayer because we're answering the question for this reason. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We'll get to the last part here, verse 9, which we're going to talk about every single prayer. Okay, but for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of you. What did he talk about? What did he talk about in these we started with verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. From verse 3 to verse 8, he talked about a lot of different things. First of all, Paul heard of their faith. And he also thanked him for their love for one another. He heard of their faith and their love for one another. He also talked about how true faith is more than a conviction of the mind. It transforms the heart to love. See, there is more to salvation than the forgiveness of sins. I am not watering this down. This is this is foundational. This is key. This is important. Uh, this is almost more important than any, everything else than what I'm going to say. But there's more to salvation than just this. Okay? Am I making sense with that? Okay? There is more to salvation than most of us have understood and comprehended. How do I know that? Because we're not seeing the difference. We would see a difference in the church at large if we were operating it as a church that we're supposed to be. Okay? But to the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works and apply it to our life in our lives, we can experience heaven on earth. We've talked about this in previous prayers of Paul. Okay? We are all the same in our born-again spirits. 
but there are many levels of understanding. We are called to be disciples. And discipleship is not automatic. And Paul, for this reason, as we are also since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and our wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, Paul, just like with Ephesus in the first prayer, he had just expressed Apophis good report of them. He just expressed their faith in Christ Jesus. He just expressed their love for him and his love for them. He just expressed this in verses 3 through 8. He just expressed <coughs> There was no correction. I don't see any correction in Paul in, from verses, in, the, in the introduction of this, of this uh, the prelude to this prayer. He had nothing but good things to say about the church of Colossae. Unlike Galatians, he just cuts it right to the chase. He gets on them. I mean, he he says you are cursed if you if you believe in a different gospel. I mean, he just he just cuts to the heat. It's like he is just plowing through some uh, major uh, religious cows, okay? But he just expressed some his gratitude. In other words, here's the father in the faith. He's happy about his kids. Okay? But, just like we talked with the church of the Ephesus, even though he had nothing but good to say about them, Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Okay? They, in other words, praise God for where we are. But most of us can experience more of God than we are. Most of us need to know more about God, His Word, and what we can experience in this life that we are experiencing. See, salvation includes being born again. It includes forgiveness of sins. It includes the vast stores of wisdom, vast stores of understanding. Even Paul longed to know Jesus more. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know God more. Praise God for where you are. I mean, if you're listening, if you took, you're scrolling through Facebook and you took time to listen, praise God for that. I am not getting on people's case. But I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. In my job, I have been ordained and licensed by God and by man to preach the gospel. And I'm here. Praise God for where you are. But I'm telling you, I pray that you would know Jesus more. I pray that you would know the knowledge of his will more than you already do. Okay? Even Paul longed to know Jesus more. He said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being, being, being conformed to his death. And Paul prayed that we would, he asked that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will and our wisdom and spiritual understanding. He basically prayed this in all four prayers. All four prayers, this word knowledge and this word understanding came up. This is something that Paul was consistent in every prayer that we've looked at. He's talking about how he prayed that we would not know the knowledge of the And almost every church that we looked at, he had nothing but good to say. But even the good churches, he still prays that we would know the knowledge of his will. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. I'm teaching this and I'm still praying that I would know and be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
I know because I'm not seeing some things in my life like I like to the fullness. I still want myself to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I'm not preaching anything to you that I don't want for myself. Okay? I'm not treating you any different, any less than I'm treating myself. Am I, am I making sense with that? We need wisdom and understanding to properly enter into and fulfill God's will. We need wisdom and understanding. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me go back real quick. Because he prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need wisdom and understanding to properly enter into and to fulfill God's will. See, the New Testament apostles, and I want to make sure you hear this, okay? The New Testament apostles gave themselves continuing to prayer, but they also gave themselves to preaching and teaching God's word. There's two things that you will see in all of the Paul's letters. There's two, some, two things you will see in every New Testament author and apostle is that they pray continually for the church and that they preach and taught God's word. Those are two things that every one of them did every single time, every single church, whether they were strong believers or they had some work to do. He, they pray and they preach and they taught the word of God. And that's my prayer as a pastor. I don't care if I'm the, sm the brightest crayon in the, in the crayon box or the sharpest knife in the drawer. I pray continually for you, and I am preaching and teaching God's word. That's what we do here. You don't see me doing a lot of other stuff. I'm here to pray and to preach and to teach the word of God. Okay? Acts 6-4 says this, and this is the apostles talking, and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That was the ministry of the New Testament apostles. It was in this context in Acts chapter 6 that they appointed the seven. They appointed the seven like Stephen and Philip so that the apostles could get themselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Sherry and I have always prayed for a staff to help us do this ministry so that we could give ourselves even more to prayer and the ministry of the word. But because we haven't had a staff, because we haven't had people, that's why the apostles asked for the seven to wait on tables so that they could, the apostles would not be distracted waiting on tables, but they could give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We have asked for a staff so that God, <coughs> so that we could continue preaching the gospel like we have been called to do and to pray and to minister to one another. Okay? Uh, we haven't received that anything close to that. But that's why we have not prayed for that. Because I see the I see the significance of this. It's not that the apostles were better than the seven. I mean look at Stephen. He preached the gospel and was stoned for it. Look at Philip. He pre I mean, I don't know how they got the weight on tables of chasing chariots and then being transformed translated to, to Samaria. It's all revival. Okay? But hey, you know what? Just because you're waiting on tables, just because you're the janitor, just because you're doing stuff, doesn't mean it's insignificant. But we all have our place in the body of Christ. We all have our place in the church and the ministry. And that's one reason I, you know, I've been distracted. When I'm working three or four jobs so I can make ends meet, so I can, so we can do this ministry. And so, and yet, some of you, and again, this is not put down, but some of you have been watching for months and you've never donated one dime to this church. Paul would rebuke that, okay? And I, again, I'm not trying to panhandle money. I'm just trying to preach and teach the gospel. 
But one reason we can use some help is so that we could get, we could do more. Okay, for the church. The Paul's ministry. Let's talk about Paul's ministry to the, the Colossae church for a moment. Paul ministered to the Colossae church without any physical presence. He didn't. He didn't even show. He was never there. And yet, through prayer, God imparted knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and strength in helping others in their spiritual walk. Through his letters, through his prayers, he did that. Some of you, I've never shown up. You've never seen me face to face. But yet, through Facebook, and through different means, and through prayer, through, and through, through internet, and through technology, I've been able to give you knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and strength in helping you in your spiritual walk. Okay? And I, it's not just me. You can all do that. Not only can Paul write a letter, but a pastor could write a letter. Anyone can write a letter. Okay? And with technology right now, it doesn't take... I'm reaching... Uh, over 1,300 people every weekend just from these type of messages all over the world. That's awesome. Okay? There's much more that we would love to do. And we, we can't do that because we never wanted this to be a David Sherry show. Okay? Let's go to Luke real quick. I just want to make a little, little note about Anna. I'm talking about, I'm talking about prayer. Um, this prayer part. Continuing prayer. I'm just Make a little note of this because Paul, we're talking about the four person Paul. And we're talking about how Paul prayed for the church of Colossae. Who, he, he, he never was there, but he did pray for them. Just like he did pray for the other churches where he did show up. Okay? He didn't, and once he didn't pray for the church of Colossae any different than he did to the churches that he did. He didn't uh, physically go there. And I'm not making sense with that. Okay? But Anna, Anna in the New Testament was known as a prophetess. Okay? And and there's multiple prophecies. I was looking this up this week. I forget how many, but there's at least six, if not more, prophetesses mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, so it's not just Anna. But Anna was a prophetess, and the daughter of Phanal, of, of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And had lived with a husband, with a husband seven years, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with a fasting and prayers night and day. There's not a lot said about Anna. But this prophetess Anna, she served God night and day through prayer. Okay? And when used in establishing others in Christ, prayer is an awesome tool. That's the point I'm trying to make. Paul prayed for people. The apostles prayed. They also preached the gospel, but Anna, she prayed, and she was effective. She had a part to play when Jesus was commissioned, when Jesus was uh, circumcised and, and dedicated to the Lord. And she had a part to play with that, okay? But one of the points I'm trying to make with this, and hopefully this connects with you, with Anna, Anna and I'm saying this to piggyback on some of the things I've already said about prayer, is that... Trusting faith in God is a vehicle that works on the behalf of others. <clears throat> I'm hoping to convey what I'm trying to convey. It's not, in one sense, it's not a major point, but yeah, it's a point I'm trying to make. Is that don't underestimate the power of prayer. Yes, we preach. Yes, we teach. Yes, we operate 
in our gifts and our roles as the church, as the clergy, as the fivefold ministry, of however you want to phrase that, as pastors and teachers, even prophets like Anna. Anna, she was just, she was faithful. Even as a widow, 80-something years, she was a faithful, faithful, night and day, praying. Okay, she was faithful. And when we are trying to establish others in Christ, prayer is an awesome tool. Not just with Anna, not just with Paul and the other apostles, but when we are trusting our faith in God, and we are putting other people to put their faith in God. It's a vehicle that works on the behalf of others. I am not praying to somebody else. I am praying to God. And it's almost sometimes, one thing I'm trying to say, I don't know how to convey this properly, but sometimes people reach out to us for prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Reach out. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to us in prayer. But sometimes I get the idea that you are trusting us more than you are trusting God. Am I making sense for that? Because I'm a pastor, because I'm a preacher, minister, you almost trust my prayer more than you trust your own prayer. You are trust almost as if you are praying to me and not God. And I'm not saying that to read anybody necessarily, but I'll scripture your thoughts for a reproof for correction for training and righteousness. My point is I'm trying to get to <coughs> as a pastor, put your trust in God. Not me. I am not your savior. I am not your Jesus. I am not your healer. I am not your provider. I am glad to pray for you as Paul did and Hannah did and other people did. But I am always going to steer you to put your trust in God. Because if I don't, I have done you a disservice. Trust God. I will agree with you in prayer, but I, you don't pray to me, you pray to God. That makes sense? I'm all about agreement in prayer. And I will come along with, side and agree with you in prayer. Sometimes I will even quote some of these prayers that we're talking about in this series. And if we need to, we will pray night and day with you. Okay? But we're not praying to me. We're praying to God. And I don't know if I'm making sense. See, Paul desires that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Praying to me, you're not going to get God's will. I hope, we, I hope I can steer you towards God's will. I point you in the direction of that. Okay? <clears throat> but Paul's desire, my desire, is that you, not just me, the pastor, but that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for yourself. In other words, as a pastor, I'm not just trying to give you a fish dinner. I'm trying to teach you how to fish. Because we may not always be connected. We may not always have Facebook. We may not always have these different things. But we will always have God. We will always have Jesus, and he will be with us wherever. And you will, can always know his will through prayer and through uh, the Lord. But you, we may not always be connected, but God is always connected with you. 
Okay. So in the last in the last three lessons, we've talked when again this word knowledge comes up. It came up in all four prayers, and it came up again here in this last prayer to the Church of Colossae. In last lesson, when we talked about the, about the Church of Philippi, we looked at these three different uh, terms for knowledge. Gnosis, which is an intellectual type knowledge. Gnosko, which is a more personal, intimate knowledge. And then we have this other one that's more of a perception, intuition, discernment of knowledge. We saw the, we, we saw the first two in uh, Ephesians 3, where this is the int intimacy and this is more intellectual to the <coughs> Paul prayed that we know, uh, experience the love of God, of Christ which passes or surpasses knowledge, or intellect, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what these first two is talking about. Both, both these two were used in that verse. But this third one, we saw it last week, and uh, when we were looking at uh, Philippi, um, but it's the same word that's being used here, in Colossians, okay? For this reason, we also said today we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, but now so you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so, and we also saw this word, same word to use in Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of Lord, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. We also saw the same word used in Peter, which said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, call of thy glory and virtue. I spent a lot of time talking about this last week. I'm not going to go into all detail this week, but it's the same word. It's also the same word used in Philemon, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Okay. And then we uh, saw again, like I said last week in Philippians, and I pray that you love that your love may bound still more and more in the knowledge and discernment. We concluded this with the law where we're talking about love is based on knowledge. Okay? And we see the same thing here in Colossians. Paul is praying that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will and our wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, one thing we've seen in all four prayers is that knowledge, the knowledge of God, is foundational. It's something Paul wanted us to have. It's something Peter wanted us to experience. Paul desires that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Okay. Only then would they be able to be walked worthy of the Lord. Only then would they be able to be fruitful in every good work. As he mentions here in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. You cannot walk worthy of the Lord if you are not filled with the knowledge of God. You cannot be fruitful in every good work if you are not filled with the knowledge of God in all wisdom and understanding. Am I making sense? This knowledge, we've seen this knowledge being key to so many different things in all four prayers. In this prayer, we are focusing on these two aspects of knowledge and its benefits. There are many benefits, there are many fruits of knowing the knowledge of his will. In this prayer, we are, we are talking, looking at two different aspects that we didn't necessarily see in the last two, but they connect. Okay? There is no way 
for anyone to fulfill God's will if they don't know what it is. You can't do something if you don't know it. Okay? The starting point for everyone is to know and understand his will. If you don't know where to start, that's the starting point. And we learned last week in Philippi, in the Philippians, is that when we abound in his love, when we increase in his love, when we focus on his love, we can know his will more and more. Okay? So how do we attain such knowledge? How do we attain this knowledge? If knowledge is so important that Paul keeps praying about, how do we attain it? First of all, we need to desire it. Okay? Jeremiah says this, And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Folks, I can teach you the knowledge of God. I can preach verses on the knowledge of God. I've been doing that for the last, we're in week seven, for the last seven weeks. And pretty much every message I ever preach is about the knowledge of God. But I can't give you the desire. That's your part. I can preach it. I can teach it. I can massage it. I can romanticize it. I can, I can do whatever you want me to do about it. But I can't give you the desire. How do you get the desire? Well, that verse is right behind me. If you can see it, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in God. Desire it. In Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses when I was growing up, and you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. When I was in high school and in my sophomore year, God told me how to, how to study his word. He said, Dave, before you even open the word, I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, teach me. The Holy Spirit is my teacher. I'm not your... I have the gift of teaching, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit gives me the gift of teaching, and the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And he says, Holy Spirit, open my understanding. He told, God told me how to pray. And so, you know, you know what God was also telling me how to pray? He, not only was he telling me the words to use in my prayers, God was telling me to change my attitude. Because he knew me, especially as a boy, as a young boy. Like sheep, we are so distracted, squirrel. I mean, we get so distracted. I mean, we make a dog and a squirrel um, uh, sound more mature than us sometimes. But we need to change our attitude. We need to, instead of just going through the motions... We need to pause and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me. Teach me. We need, it's an attitude. We need to have, Lord, give me the desire to hear. Give me an ability to understand. Give me a nugget today. Teach me. People often ask God for knowledge of his will. We get that question a lot. Knowing, wanting, know, we even had that question. The other day, I was whining to my own wife a couple weeks ago. I know what I'm supposed to be doing in the big picture, but what am I supposed to be doing right now? I was juggling five jobs, being burned out, 
And I knew what I could do, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And sometimes I, I was just getting rattled and frustrated and frazzled. And I, I wasn't interested in just doing, 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 doing. I wanted to do what I'm supposed to do. And I was asking God for the knowledge of his will regarding my vocation and my time and my day and my, how, what I'm supposed to focus on. And many people, not just me, ask God for knowledge of his will. But they are not seeking him with all their hearts. They are asking, but they're not seeking him with all their hearts. In one sense, they're asking, but they're not staying around for the answer. And, you know, what I did during that period of time when I was warning my wife, I took a couple days off and I said, I'm going to seek God until I get an answer. It's not that God was, was waiting. It's not, you know, on my end, it looked like I was just sitting hearing the background music while the phone was on hold, but it wasn't the phone on hold. It was my own brain, my own emotions uh, having so many different channels on at the same time. How many know you can't watch more than one TV channel at one time? You could try. You could, maybe with technology, you could have multiple TVs and you can actually physically do so. But you cannot watch each. If you have nine televisions on at one time, you cannot watch each of them with your full intent at the same time. Some of us need to shut up and let God speak. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be blunt. We just need to be still and know that He is God. And we need to let Him be God in our lives. And we need to let, we need to walk with God. We need to walk with the Holy Spirit. We need to have a relationship with our Abba, our God, our Creator, our Master, our King. I'm going back. Many people are asking God for knowledge and will and wisdom, direction. But they are not seeking him with all their hearts. And really, the answer is not always the answer. The answer is relationship with God. It's not just like you plug in like a horoscope and get your horoscope for the day and then spend 90% of your day on your own. No, you walk with God day in, day out. Walking, praying, continuing. Prayer I believe in a time where I can specifically be what I call in prayer, but I can pray all day long. I can be in an attitude of prayer all day throughout my day, even when I'm busy. It's called a relationship with God. It's called Christianity 101. Praying is not just something we do before we eat or before we start our day or whatever. It's not just something that we, we end with, oh, Father, or oh, Lord, and end with amen. But there can be, there's a time and a place for that. We can't be very specific like that. We can be very punctual and professional like that. I don't know exactly how I want to do it, but <coughs> we can just be relational, be real with God. And seek him with all our heart, like our life depended on it. We can either be real with God, or we can keep playing this game. It's a, we might not call it a game, we might not mean it to be a game, but 
we are trying to do everything and everything but seek God with all of our heart. And I'm not talking about being religious about this. I hate religion. And when people start talking religious, I hate that. But God said, God doesn't talk to me like that. Only people like that talk to me like that. God's real. God even uses my lingo, whatever that is. You know, it just, they are, seek God. Get real. I have a real relationship with God. You know, when I chilled everything down and saw God, God began to share some things with us. Some very intimate, powerful, and specific things. And we are working on some of those things. Some of those things have to do with the church. Some of those things have to do with us personally. But he gave us some directions. But we have to seek him with all of our hearts. No one who has sought God with all their hearts has ever been disappointed. No one. So how do you attain the knowledge of God? First, you've got to desire it. The second thing is the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, But God has revealed to, them, to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11, For what man knows... For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There's a lot of things that we need to know. But this one thing, <coughs> this one topic, Keeps coming up on all four prayers. And we need to know. We want to know his will. Right? Amen? Well, part of his will is knowing the things that have been freely given to us by God. God's not going to reveal to you something new outside of the scope of what he's already given you. Now, he might give you some specifics, but those specifics are going to still be within the confines of what he's already given to you. There's some, some specific things God has told us to do for this ministry, for this church, for our, <coughs> our lives, for our finances, and different things. But they, all those are built on the foundation of what he's already given to us in Christ by God. That makes sense? In other words, God didn't give us some new direction for this church, for our lives, that are contrary, are opposite, are not connected with what he's already given to us. God didn't give us something that's totally different that is that you can't find in scripture. Does that make sense? One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God's will to us. That's why a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I had a teaching series on knowing the Holy Spirit. Some people want to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people want to operate in tons of the Holy Spirit. And I agree with all that wholeheartedly. But some people, they want the gifts, but they don't want the Holy Spirit. They want, to, they want the Word. There's some people 
<coughs> they're looking for a word from God like a horoscope. I don't mean to paint it that way, but it, I'm not finding any different how some people are approaching God and how the world is approaching the fortune teller. I'm not seeing much different in some scopes than some people. We're different. God is not a psychic. He's our God. And some people want a word from God, but no relationship. That is horrible. That means you're just using God. If I had a wife or, or a spouse or, or someone in my life who was just using me, to get a word and get something out of me, but doesn't want a relationship with me, that's not love. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity and being spirit-filled is not getting a word, but no relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. That's not right. That's not even real. That's fake. That's religious. And I'm not trying to get people's case, but I'm trying to point us in direction. We want, oh, there's so many things we want from God, but we need to come back to a relationship with our God. That's real. It's not spooky. It's not fun. It's not weird. Okay? I think I hit the button, so okay. Okay. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of the truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit can be our best guide. He is our helper. He is our guide. Not our fortune teller, but our guide. There's a difference. Okay? People who have a, uh, get a word from a psychic or a horoscope, they don't have a relationship with that psychic. They just pay them my money to, to flip over some cars or whatever they do. You know, and anyway, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I, sometimes i got to be blunt in the sense to make a point. We need to get back. We need to repent to get back to a relationship with God. We must depend on the person of the Holy Spirit. The person. Yes, the person of the Holy Spirit may operate in a gift. Do someone else or do something else. But we are not depending on them. We are depending on the person of the Holy Spirit. So how do we attain this knowledge? Desire. And the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of God's wisdom. The third thing is, we need to study the Word of God. Some of us want a word from God, but we won't spend any time in the Word of God. I don't remember the whole story. I wasn't there, but Barbara Perdue, he's, she's the wife of Lawson Perdue, and uh, our pastor, the church, are, they are our pastors in, in, from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And someone came up to her one day and was asking for uh, wisdom or needed a word from God about something and that they were upset about. And Barbara was willing to, as, as a pastor's wife, was willing to schedule an appointment to talk about this. But it was just kind of passing. I think it was on uh, one of their uh, church services, and as she was ministering to her, and you know, either before or after the service, and she was uh, going to make an appointment with her. So Barbara asked her, "Okay, well, in the meantime, I know you. I, we're going to meet on such and such a time, but and we can talk about this. We can pray about what the thing that you need prayer for. But what scripture?" <coughs> What scripture are you standing on? What, what, 
what verse, what, what are you reading right now in your, in your Bible? And this person's like, I'm not reading the Word of God. I'm not studying. I, I, and I know I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing some of this because I don't know exactly how the discussion went. But the points that I'm trying to make are true. This person's like, I, I'm not standing there anymore. I haven't, I haven't even opened the Bible. And so Barbara's response is, so you want a word from God from me, but you, won't even, you don't even want a relationship with God's word? And Barbara's response was, we're going to cancel the appointment until you spend some time in God's word. Then we'll talk. There's some people, they want a word from God. They want a word from the pastor, but they don't want a relationship with God themselves. That is wrong. That is unhealthy. That is not maturity. That is not faithful. That is not loyal. That is not... Jesus, Paul, never encouraged such a behavior. Now, you want a word from God, but you don't want a relationship with God. You don't want a word from God. You just want something to make you feel good. And there's no discipleship. There's no... And you come to the pastor and a pastor's wife for a word, for prayer, but you don't want to be in the word of God yourselves. We are not in the ministry. I am not in the street. Lawson, Barbara, we are not in the ministry to... to to spoon feed you, we are doing to equip you for the work of men, but our job is to equip you to get have a relationship with God on your own. We are not your savior. We are not in a relationship with us does not replace a relationship with God. Okay. I'm, I'm just gonna wrap this up real quick and then we'll pick this up next week. To be filled with the knowledge of God, we must be filled with God's Word. Because God's Word is His will. God's, God's will for your life is not going to be contrary to His Word. Those who, who, who are ignorant of God's Word are ignorant of God's will. Okay? And for, the re for this reason, we also, since this, the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly. Okay? That's just a practical term. Understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. Okay? See? And then he goes, And for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom is being able to, uh, is, the, is the ability to use knowledge correctly. <coughs> you know, if you have knowledge, but you don't know how to use it, you need wisdom. So you know how to use that knowledge. But there's a difference between carnal understanding and spiritual understanding. I'm wrapping this up, and then we'll pick it up next week, okay? The all spiritual understanding originates and conforms to God's word. And any reason that violates God's word is not spiritual understanding. Someone who leads you to something different than to God's word, a, a relationship. You know, I've had people come to me in the year, through the years like, Dave, you use too much scripture. And they, they took it as a critic and I took it as a compliment. 
you're criticizing me for using too much scripture. And I, in one sense, I criticize them for not using any scripture at all. If I'm not interested in any pastor, any teacher who won't use scripture, or they use scripture out of context. You can make scripture teach anything you want to if you, if you, if you let it. And people have done that. Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy. We have itching ears that some people will gather teachers to hear what they want to hear. Paul said that in his last letter he ever wrote in 2 Timothy, he talked about how the church will, will there are some people in the church who will just find teachers to hear what they want to hear. He calls that itching ears. And, uh, and that's where Paul did rebuke. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding work together. Okay. Well, we're going to pick it up here uh, where we left. So we're talking about the four prayers of Paul, and I just ran out of time. I'm hoping I can finish this now next week. Uh, we still have a lot more ground to cover, so I could even take two more weeks on this if I have to. Um, uh, this is not a race, okay? But I've been getting a lot of positive feedback on these four prayers of Paul. I've never done a teaching like this before. Yeah, it's kind of a expository, textual type of message that I haven't done this. I don't normally teach this way. But there's some things that Paul wants us to understand. There's so many different points I've been making along the way that I could actually make a whole message on them all by themselves. I've been trying hard not to get on too far of a rabbit trail that I don't steer back to the main message. And I'm hoping that in these four prayers, I'm able to harmonize it all together. Uh, into one message. But I see it, there's a lot of themes here that Paul has been saying in every single prayer. And there's just some takeaways today, from our message today, that we need to know this, but we need a relationship with God. We have made it so complicated and so religious. We just need to come back and have a relationship with God in a very similar fashion that we have a relationship with our spouse, our kids, or our best friend. He's God, so he's different. But we have made him like he's not one of us. Like he's different, like he's distant. He's closer to you than you he's closer to you than you are to yourself. And make it real. Jesus did nothing without spending time with the Father. Paul, all these apostles did nothing without spending time with their master, Jesus. We need to know his will. And I don't need to know God's will third hand from another person. I need to know God's will from his own lips. Sherry, Sherry knows that she can give me a word, and other people give me a word, and, and, and I, I can be encouraged by that to a certain level. But I will always put that on the back burner until I, either that's been confirmed or affirmed by God himself. Because I'm his child. You're his child. And if you're his child, God doesn't need to speak to someone else to give you a word. You can go right in on the end and sit on your daddy's lap. Sherry likes to use an illustration of the movie The King and I, where the daughter was not, the king was not just the daughter's king, but
but he was her Abba, her father. And she did see him as king, even though he was. He saw him as her father. And we need to have a relationship with God that is real. Not religious, not fake, not phony, but it's real. And we can get to know his will anytime, anywhere, anyhow. And we need to be real with us and search him with all our heart. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. God bless you.